Mac Power Users, episode 658. Every letter is precious. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm good, David. Got a feedback episode. It's always fun. And uh, we're just in the thick of it with the St. Jude fundraising. Yeah, I mean, I know you are super busy. And you know why? I, I've been tracking you. Oh, yeah? So, somehow you and I, do I, am I on your fine friends? Yeah, you're yeah my, we're, you're we're fine friends friend? on Find My. So I just was looking the other day because uh, Daisy's doing a lot of moving around for work. And i checking up on her. I'm like, oh, Stephen's at St. Jude again. I could see where you were at. I'm like, this guy is working really hard. And it's <laughs> Apple Announcement Month. And, uh, you know, you're raising money to help sick kids. Uh, wow. You know? Good, yeah. good job, buddy. Good job. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit. So September yeah. is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and that means all of us at Relay FM we come together uh, in the fight against childhood cancer, and it's it's pretty amazing actually. So St. Jude is this hospital. It's it it's in my hometown, Memphis, Tennessee, but they work with families from all over the world. Families travel here. St. Jude's treatment and research goes elsewhere in the world to be used. Cancer kills more children under the age of 14 than any other disease, which really blew my mind when I first heard it. And it's super scary, right? That's a that's a terrifying statistic. But uh, St. Jude creates more clinical trials for pediatric cancer than any other children's hospital. And just last year, in 2021, one of those trials was for high-risk neuroblastoma, which is the second most common solid tumor in children. And those trials reported a more than 20-point improvement in survival rates. That's amazing. And that research yeah. was done here, but shared around the world. This progress is only possible at St. Jude, and that's only possible because people like you and me uh, support their mission. You're probably not old enough to even remember Danny Thomas, right? No, uh, I've read a lot about him. In fact, there's a really amazing pavilion on the St. Jude campus that talks about his life and his work. But he was he was dedicated to changing the face of this. I mean, he was just like a comedian, like you see on TV all the time when I was growing up. I just looked him up. He died in 1991, and his daughter, Marlo Thomas, was also kind of popular for a while while I was growing up. But just to think that, that his legacy to the world isn't a bunch of dumb sitcoms, but it is saving kids from cancer. And uh, the fact is we can all add to that legacy with a contribution. And, uh, you know, it, it really does feel great. I made my contribution last week on the show. It was kind of dramatic, right? We did it for fun. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, what I said on the show last week, I really meant it. When you give a nice contribution, whether it's a dollar or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, afterwards, there is a feeling that you get that ties us all together as humans. And I know everybody is having hard times right now. I mean, we, we've been dealing with it too. And, uh, I, what I would say is that if everybody listened to the show, gave $1 or even $5, it, it would make a difference. I mean, there's just no question. And if you've got $5 in your pocket that you'd like to help out, please do so. They make it really easy. You just click a link, type in a few, few lines of text, a few numbers, and then it's off to the world, and you know that when you go to uh, give the money to St. Jude, it actually goes to help these children. You know, it's just a great, great place to put your money. It is, and I, I experienced it firsthand. I mean, listeners will know that 
My oldest son is a cancer survivor because of work at St. Jude and because of their treatment, but also because of their research. You know, what they have learned over the years before we showed up helped save his life and what they learned from him and his treatments uh, that moves forward to helping other families. And it's such a cool community to be a part of. And because of this campaign, we can all be a part of it. So a lot of things going on this month. It's very busy. One thing that David, you and I are going to do later in September, we're going to do a, a live stream of what's in our bags. And so that'll be coming later, the back half of September sometime. Keep an eye out on Twitter and in the forums. We'll announce that a few days in advance and uh, we'll do it and it'll be on, on YouTube so you can you can watch it uh, moving forward if you miss the live stream. But doing a lot of extra content to talk about this and to raise money and it's such an incredible honor to do it every year. And thank you, listeners, for getting involved. You know, we we see the the fundraising coming in. We see the numbers going up. And that is so encouraging to see that everyone is uh, is on board with this. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's hopefully I'll be able to do that new um, that episode from the new studio. We're, we're really close. That's that. That'd be awesome. It, it could be, uh, uh, you know, half. Uh, Half backpack, half uh, what's David's office look like. <laughs> All right, let's do it. So iOS 16 is out. Uh, we talked about it in our previous episode. Uh, it came out on Monday the 12th. So uh, you're probably running it at this point and gotten to spend some time with it. But we wanted to, to follow up on that and talk a little bit about some of the stuff we couldn't talk about in the previous episode. Yeah. Uh, and the first one of those for me, at least, at least is Federico Vitici's incredible review over on Mac stories. He's done this for many years now. It is the review to read on iOS 16. And, you know, I've been running iOS 16 since June and there were things in his review that I learned my phone could do (laughs) that I wasn't aware of. And it's, it's fantastic. He, he has separated out iPad OS this year because the iPad OS update of course is coming later. I did air quotes later. Yeah. So it's it's more condensed, more concise, but he did a great job with it, and it's definitely a great thing. Like grab an iPad, find a comfy seat in your house, and and flip through his review. Yeah, you know something about his review is I think if you haven't read it for a few years, it's really evolved. And I feel like when Federico started, whether it was intentional or not, it was very technical. I feel like it was kind of like the spiritual successor of the John Syracuse Mac OS reviews. Yep. And they have changed their tone. They've got shorter and I think more actionable by normal users. So um, if you got turned off because a few years ago he got, you know, went too deep in the weeds on an a-, a particular API for you, go back and read it this year. Because I feel like the way he has kind of evolved that review, I think it's way more accessible to a lot more people. And I just highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, I agree with all that. You know, we've we've talked a lot about that. Uh, unconnected because he he kind of talks through the review process on our show and it's been it's been really cool to see the change and uh, definitely worth uh, worth a read. The other thing we couldn't talk about last time were the lock screen widgets we were using because we've been on a yeah. bunch of betas and now you know uh, several days after the release a lot of popular iOS apps have been updated to include lock screen widgets. I felt like it's been a pretty fast rollout. This technology has been around for a few years now. A lot of the graphics are based on Apple Watch complications. So I feel like we've had more options earlier on than we did with widgets a few years ago. But what are some of the things that that you have found useful so far? 
Well, uh, I mean, we talked about focus modes um, last time, and I, I think we're going to come back to that on Mac Power Users. I don't know how in what way, um, but we're going to talk about it more because the thing about focus modes is you can have custom lock screens based on your focus mode. So like if you're at work and you put your phone in work mode, then the lock screen widgets can be a different set than they are if you're at home and you're in personal mode. And I just think that's kind of an underlying assumption you need to understand here that you don't, even though you have limited room for lock screen widgets on your phone, because you have multiple focus modes, it allows you to set it up in different ways. And uh, I was just looking at our list here. We have a lot more um, listed here than actually would fit on a single lock screen. So for me, I I have really been enjoying uh, for work mode. Uh, Fantastical has a next appointment um, little widget that uses um, essentially two slots, you know, and um, it looks great and it shows me what's coming up and I can look at my phone and see it. Um, OmniFocus has one that lets me jump to my uh, my uh, perspective of choice. I think that's really cool. And Timery is another one that I think yeah. is really good for getting work done. Timery's got a great little widget. Yeah, I love the Timery one because I sometimes will get up from my desk to go do something else and leave a timer running. And I could just look at my phone and like, oh, uh, I've been counting MPU time for the 45 minutes I've been out running errands and I can go in and and correct it. So anything that you kind of want you know, real-time ambient information about these lock screens really are uh, already been very useful for me. Yeah, and as we record this, we're just days away from getting our iPhones 14. And um, to me, that's the payoff, right? So I did order a stand. I ordered the 12 South High Rise on Labor Day weekend. They had a uh, special. And I got the one that charges your watch, your your uh, AirPods, and your phone all at once. Okay. And... um. I'm going to give it a try. You know, it's one cable, you plug it in and um, I think it'll be pretty cool. And I'm going to put it on my work desk so I can get notifications. Um, one question in my mind, which the listeners will know the answer to this when they, when the show publishes is what do you do at night? I mean, can you turn that off? I assuming there's a way that like, if it knows it's night mode and you're asleep, that it's not going to show lock screen mm-hmm. widgets and just go to sleep. I don't but I, I just don't know. Nobody I've seen has published on that yet, but hopefully we'll know in a couple of days. Yeah. As we record this, we're a few days out from probably when uh, reviews will be, you know, hitting. So yeah, uh, I too have been rethinking my dock situation specifically at my desk at night. Uh, it's fine if it lays flat. Uh, I'm a big fan of the studio neat material docks. I've, I know I've mentioned them here before. And they, because they're super smart, have a new one out to, uh, today as we record this. That oh, do they? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's called the. They have an upright duo and upright trio. And so, you, so I did the the duo so I could put a MagSafe puck upright and to hold the phone so I can see the screen. And then they've got a horizontal one for AirPods. And uh, so I've got one of those on order. They don't ship for a couple of months, but I really like the aesthetic. And uh, you know. Studio Neat guys are my friends, and so I'll, I'll do one of those. So if you do have a, a docking solution, I think especially at your desk where your phone lays horizontal, and if you're like me, my phone, when it's charging, it's basically on the other end of my desk. I don't keep it super close to the computer, but getting it upright, I think, will make these lock screen widgets even more useful kind of day-to-day. It's like it's like a little version of your you know iPad status board concept. Yeah, this you know, studio neat, man. I'm shaking my hand at you right now. 
Anyway, yeah, so that's cool. Well, we both have solutions. Um, what are some of your favorite uh, lock screen widgets that we haven't discussed yet? Yeah, so I've been I've been using several. Uh, Widgetsmith has full support for them. Of course, uh, underscore David Smith is the widget guy now, and he he's my roommate at WBC every year. And so, in the evenings after the conference, he would just be like coding away and like quietly giggling to himself, and he'd call me over and get me to look at something. It was a lot of fun to see him in his element. So, yeah. Widgetsmith has full support for these. You can make your own. Uh, I've got a couple of those that I've played with. Uh, you can he lets you upload photos, even do like a little photo as a lock screen widget, which is kind of a cool effect. So that that one, I think anyone should check out because it's such it's such a utility that could do so many things. It's great. Um, yeah, I've been using. Uh, so I used reminders all summer, and I haven't decided where I'm going to go. But I wanted to because I've used it all summer. I was like, well, I want to use Todoist for a little while so I could do like a more direct comparison. And so Todoist has lock screen widgets. They were there out on day one. But they don't have the one that I think would be the most useful. Uh, they have a watch complication that shows you the number of tasks left overdue and due. So it's like, yeah, I've got seven things right now left, you know, due either yesterday or today. And they just didn't make that a lock screen widget. They did a bunch of other stuff. I emailed them and said, please add this. So hopefully they do. But most task managers, I think whatever you use, if they're not there by now, they will be pretty shortly, I think. I think having quick access to your to-do list and the lock screen is a is a really obvious way to go. I think we're going to do at some point a show on just a task manager survey. Um, I've been doing some of that for the Max Barkey Labs. I kind of put the pause button on that series because of uh, the new software coming out with reminders. I want to wait until the new version ships before I do kind of a review of that for the lab members. But when all this is done, we should probably go and look at you know what the landscape looks like now. Let's put that one on the list. If you're listening and there's a task manager you're super passionate about, let us know. Another one that I have tried out, I, I'm not using it day to day, but it may be one that I use on like new iPhone day is Parcel, which is a, a delivery tracking app that I really like a lot. of. It's been it's been great. I've used it now for almost a little over a year, I think. And they've got one. It's like a list of your, you know, your upcoming deliveries and so I think if you have something that's like really you got to sign for it or it's really important to you that you you know don't miss it, that could be a, a good use as well. Yeah. And I and the funny thing is this is literally within days of this this operating system shipping. I feel like there's going to be even more. Um, anybody who's ever made a watch widget is probably going to have a lock screen widget. And maybe we're going to get the reverse effect where people are going to make lock screen widgets with, that are going to result in watch widgets. But yeah. You know, they've they've tied this together so so tightly that it's gonna be something I think a lot of developers get on. And anything that has any kind of status board element to it, it makes so much sense. Um, it also makes me wish that I could have like a lock screen with more than the designated number of lock screen widgets. Like, what if I said, okay, I want one lock screen that doesn't have a picture of my dog on it, but has 12 widgets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suspect that Apple's not going to let us do that, but that would be cool. Yeah, I I agree. I've I've kind of filled mine up, and I would like to be able to do to do even just another row of them. You know, um, some people have commented that the flashlight and camera buttons on Face ID phones basically are lock screen widgets. Like, well, what if I could yeah. swap out flashlight for something else or camera yeah. for something else? Because 
one neat you neat use case for this is if you use a third party camera and they have a lock screen widget and if some of them have already shipped them and others are planning on it you can now access your third party camera app from the lock screen something that you haven't been able to do before like how great would it be to swap out the camera one in the bottom right hand corner for obscura or highlight or some other camera app so I think there will be evolution on this. You know, I don't expect it anytime super soon, but I do hope that Apple sees how useful these are and that people people want more flexibility and, and just more capability when it comes to the number of lock screen widgets we can use at once. Yeah, I also think like Control Center plays into this. I mean, we've talked for years about how we would like more control over Control Center, third-party apps being able to take over for native apps, and um, these widgets uh, would be nice there too. Like what if I could just pull down from the upper right corner and get these widgets just as easily as I could when the phone is locked? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, there, there's something there, but this is a good start. Definitely a good start. And I think what you said is so smart. These are the other side of the coin to the the Apple Watch complications. And so as one gets better, the other should get better too. And so I, I'm I'm excited to see where this goes. Do you want to talk any more about the Apple Watch Ultra? Like now, both you and I, while we were in the reality distortion field, ordered one. Mm-hmm. Have you had any additional thoughts? No. I mean, I'm still just really curious about the size on my wrist. Yeah. But I yeah. am also excited to, uh, to get my hands on it. Uh, it's still a couple of weeks out, but we will definitely talk about it, I'm sure. What about you? Have you, have you felt you know, worried that maybe it wasn't the right call? Oh, no. I mean, like, I don't mind returning things to Apple if it's not right. But I I continue to think that it's probably going to be something I really dig. You know, the bigger screen, mm-hmm. I think I'll like. I, like when we were talking about widgets, like, huh, I might, I might be able to have widgets where I can actually read what they say mm-hmm. with this phone. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about it. And orange. It's orange. Orange. The best color for a computer. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU where you get 20% off after signing up for a free 30-day trial. 1Password is the tool that I use to manage all of my passwords. It stores my bank account information, so routing numbers, that sort of stuff. Stuff you don't want to have that in your notes app, right? You don't want it on a sticky note on your desk. You want it in a secure place that you can access wherever you are. That's exactly what 1Password is. It's available on any platform you'd want to use. Syncs perfectly. You can use 1Password for family or teams to sync it with loved ones or coworkers. And what's really cool about 1Password is they are continually working on making it better. Just this week, they announced uh, provisioning 1Password within Google Workspace So if you're an admin and you're using Google Workspace in your school or your business, you can now connect 1Password for business directly to that. You can automate provisioning and deprovisioning. Instead of doing it manually, have it all automated. Really cool. And something that 1Password does is they just make this stuff so easy to use. So, of course, it supports Touch ID and Face ID. Of course, it supports the autofill stuff that Apple has shipped over the last few years. All my passwords in it. I don't use anything else. And I know that they are safe and secure because 1Password takes this stuff really, really seriously. If you want to sign up for a free 30-day trial, head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU. 
And when you sign up, you'll get 20% off. That URL one more time is onepassword.com slash MPU. So, Stephen, it's been a month or a little over a month since both of us got our hands on M2 MacBooks Air. And I thought it'd be fun to kind of give it a, a little discussion now. You know, it's easy to talk about these things when they're brand new, but now we've both been using them for a while. Um, do you have thoughts? Yeah, I really, really like it. So to, to recap, I ordered one for my wife, but I ended up keeping it and giving her my 14-inch MacBook Pro, <laughs> which she loves. Yeah. She, she likes the bigger screen, and she likes to have the oh, SD card oh, slot, so wait, it's worked wait, out. Wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. You gave her your MacBook Pro and kept the Air? I did, and kept the Air. How did I not know this? When did you do that? Uh, a couple weeks ago. Ah. But yeah, it's 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 a great laptop. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. my business partner, Mike Hurley, he's in town this week for some St. Jude stuff and he is using a midnight one. And we just remarked a couple times throughout the week as we've been working on stuff. Like this laptop is obviously it's silent cause there's no fan, but the battery lasts forever. It's super lightweight in a bag. The screen's really good. I just, I really, really like it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So I, I took it, we talked about it. I took it on my vacation with me for mm-hmm. seven days and I was able to um, publish videos for the Max Barkey Labs and uh, render them in 4K on this little little tiny computer. It was, of course, slower and got a little hotter, but it was able to do the job. None of them were super long videos. but I uh, And I don't like think this could be my only computer because a lot of the stuff I do are much longer works and um, and frankly, uh, working with, uh, more complicated video projects, it does slow down and bog down, but for everything else, it is fine. And in some ways superior, of course, because it fits in your bag. It's so light. Uh, you can sit on the couch and put it on your lap and not worry about covering up the vents. Cause you know, it really doesn't have any, and, uh, you're not going to block any fans cause there's no fans. And I, uh, I don't know. I just really, dig it 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 is um my favorite macbook air yeah it, it it really harkens back to the sort of original lure of the macbook air that you could have something really fast that was light and long lasting and in the pre-retina days you know that that macbook air once we got to like 2013 2014 really was great and the problem with the macbook air was that apple didn't get it into the the retina world near long enough or near fast enough. And it just fell behind. And then they, you know, they revamped it and we had the, the retina Intel one, but this really harkens back to the, that, those early days. Like this is a really kind of, uh, it's a, it's a very different computer than, than we've had from the air in a long time. And I wrote about this in my review, but for a long time, the MacBook air and the MacBook pro were very similar probably too similar and now the pro is much more capable it's thicker it's heavier has all these ports all the power you could want and it's let the air kind of come in under it it's made room for the air again and i like that strategy a lot and even though the m1 air is still for sale and you can get it for you know sometimes a few hundred dollars less the m2 MacBook air is really hard to to argue with in, in terms of like the default answer. Like, yeah, if you need to spend a little bit less, the M1 Air is still fantastic. But with MagSafe and the new design, 
and the bigger screen, the 13.6-inch screen, it's just it's, all the balances that you have to to find in a product. I feel like Apple got them all right in this one, and I'm just I'm so impressed with it. I love using it, and I have not missed my 14-inch MacBook Pro yet. Yeah, it's been interesting for me because of my 16-inch MacBook Pro, I still work on it more than the, the MacBook Air. Because I do so much production type work, I mean, why not, you know, if you've got, if you've got to lift something heavy and you've got a forklift and you've got, you know, I don't know, use whatever analogy you want. Yeah, but I, the, the 16 inch does the heavy lifting so much better, but the, uh, so I, I still use it the most. I do have Ventura installed on the MacBook air where I've, I've got, um, you know, the prior operating system. The yeah. current operating system yep. on on the 16 inch, so there's a lot of reasons why I use a 16 inch more. But when I do use the Air, and it is daily, I just find it really great. I mean, it does all the stuff I want to do in terms of like automation workflows and all the stuff I complain about, frankly, that the iPad can't do. It does that stuff, and it does it fine. It does it fast. The screen to me. Uh, so let's talk about the, the specific limitations because you gave up a 14 inch that had a much nicer screen yeah. than your MacBook air. Does that bother you? No, I don't like pro motion. And so I had that off. <laughs> that's the biggest oh, that's thing. Right. I think that, that people would notice that pro screen is also brighter, but I don't really ever use my laptop outside or if I do, it's really rare. So for me as someone who doesn't, use promotion i really haven't i mean yeah there's a, there's a slight quality difference but for me it's not a big deal now if you're super into promotion or if your workflow requires those higher or lower frame rates then yeah the air is not going to be as useful to you if you're you know kind of built around what the macbook pro can do but i wasn't and so for me it's been it's been fine honestly yeah and now the so i agree if i put them next to each other I can definitely see that the MacBook Pro has a better screen. But when I'm, you know, at a restaurant or anywhere in the world using the MacBook Air without the Pro sitting next to it, I don't even think about the screen being worse. You know, it doesn't occur to me. Uh, Another limiting factor is the ports, right? Obviously, with the MacBook Pro, you get a ton more ports, including HDMI, and you just get a lot more input and output. Um, When you're using the MacBook Air, have you been noticing that? Yeah, I mean, I've got dongles in my bag again, <laughs> right, yeah. to, to accommodate for that. But it is a lot nicer than the M1 Air or the the 13-inch Touch Bar MacBook Pro because MagSafe, you know, as long as you got a MagSafe cable with you, you have two USB-C ports still, which is twice as good as having one. Actually, it's about 100 times better than having one USB-C port. Yeah. And so, yeah, I got dongles again. I mean, that's That's annoying, but... I feel like MagSafe does help offset that a little bit. And I love having MagSafe again. I love like, I charge my laptop at the end of my desk. I have a MagSafe cable that's just, uh, you know, right there. And if I need to take the laptop somewhere, I can just pull it and like, just like break the magnetic connection. And it's so fast. And like, I just, I didn't realize how much I'd missed MagSafe in the, what, five or six years it was gone. And it's really fun to have it back. Yeah, uh, to me, the biggest limitation, and this is a silly thing, but I have this damn tinnitus. So I'm always hearing ringing in my ears, and sometimes it can just drive you nuts. So I'm always playing some kind of sound or music, and the MacBook Pro sounds so much better than the MacBook Air. That That's one area where 
I do notice a difference when yes. I'm on it. Agreed. Um, but you know, that's kind of a, an edge case thing, but I, I agree. I mean, like I'm able to do my production work. Now I would say that both Steven and I are very fortunate that we have very powerful Macs at our disposal. I have a MacBook pro Steven has a Mac studio. So we bought these things as second Macs, which is a luxury. Not everybody has that being said, if, my macbook pro had to go into the shop i think i could get by with the macbook air i think it would drive me nuts after a while because you know you're trying to render a two-hour video on it it would make you a little crazy but generally i'd be able to get by just fine and that's kind of the test right yeah absolutely and most people don't have those sorts of workloads right and if and if you don't then (laughs) they are going to definitely meet your needs yeah. You know, if my Mac Studio needed to go in the shop or something, you know, was up with it, I could totally plug my MacBook Air into my display and get get my work done. Yeah, some renders would be a little slower, but it could do everything I needed it to do. And that's just a testament to how good Apple Silicon is, I think, that this, you know, $1,200, $1,400 laptop can keep up with a machine, for the most part, that's a lot more expensive, is really impressive. And it's really in the workflow you mentioned of like these long video exports where you see the differences. But I'm telling you, in day-to-day life, I cannot tell that my Mac Studio and my MacBook Air are different. Like in just, you know, doing stuff on the web and email and task management, you know, kind of the day-to-day nuts and bolts stuff we all do with our computers, they both feel so good. But if I, you know, if you didn't tell me which Mac I was at, if I didn't know somehow in day-to-day stuff, I can't tell the difference between the Mac Studio and the MacBook Air. And one is way more expensive than the other. Oh, yeah. Like for like running Keyboard Maestro scripts, it's not like one runs faster than the other. (laughs) They're both instant. (laughs) Yeah. You know, talking to people in the labs that bought them, I just haven't talked to anybody that's been unhappy with an M2 MacBook Air. I think Apple's got a winner on its hands. And I think it's like the the bar has been raised. Like it used to be that, you know, the need between the consumer and the pro level was much lower. And now I feel like the consumer does so much so well. Oh yeah. Rendering 4k video that I feel like you have to get pretty high up in your needs before you can justify going from an air to a pro. And that's just, you know, something new. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not something we we've really ever had. And I mean, a lot of that speaks to the way Apple Silicon actually works, where in single task stuff, they're all basically the same speed. And it's really just the either GPU or the the multi-threaded tasks that really see the big uh the big differences. So uh yeah, I'm I'm super happy with the air. I'm glad I have it. And I just uh it's just it's so good. I think the big difference with the MacBook Air is that historically the MacBook Air was built on checks that Intel couldn't cash. You know, they, you know, they wanted a certain level of performance and, you know, lack of heat and battery life out of Intel chips that just wasn't being delivered. And Apple Silicon really, I think, changes the equation for the MacBook Air in a substantial way. I think so. So we had some feedback from Andrew for backup advice with iCloud Sync services. He said he uses his iCloud for syncing calendars, contacts, and notes, and he'd be lost if they disappeared. Uh, from Andrew, I know iCloud backs it up, but as with the rest of my files, I would prefer to have my own backups as well. Do you have any strategies to address this? Contacts and calendars can be exported to standard formats, 
but I can't see how to regularly back up notes. Yeah. Yeah. So I got some, I got some ideas here. Uh, like Andrew said, calendars and contacts within those applications on the Mac, you can export the data and it just exports a standard file, you know, a V a V card group file or an ICS, like a calendar file. You can import those into any, anything just about. And uh, so that that's pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah. Notes is trickier to Andrew's point. Notes doesn't really have a sort of standard file format, right? In fact, the where notes data is stored, which is in user library group containers, uh, it's basically a database. Like you're not going to go dig in there and find a bunch of text files at the bottom of the stack like you do with something like Obsidian. So yeah, you could grab that group container, but that's not going to really do you that much good. But there are a couple of Mac apps that I have found that can uh, export this, export these for you. And the best one that I have found is called Exporter. And it lets you export your Apple Notes. You have some options, uh, either HTML or Markdown. It exports your attachments and then puts reference links in your notes to point to that file. So say that you've got a note with, you know, David's birthday and what he wants for his birthday and then a picture of the Vesta board that he wants, right? If you export to plain text or HTML, that image isn't going to be embedded in the export, but it points to where it is on the disk. And critically, and this I think is really the reason exporter is better than some of the others, is that the exported files keep the same folder structure you have in notes. So if you're like me and I've got maybe a dozen or, you know, a dozen or so folders within Apple Notes, when you run exporter, it keeps those, keeps that structure. So if your note was in work, there's a work folder there and it keeps the names and everything the same. Uh, I think this is really the way to go, you know, and you could just run it every once in a while and and have a backup of your notes in a format that is uh, much easier to contend with. You could also use it if you were you if you were moving from Apple Notes to something else that imported HTML or Markdown, you could do it this way as well. Yeah, I, I have a different approach for this. I mean, the, the, this is a good app. I did try. There was a previous one that just exported them as text files mm-hmm. and and I tried it a couple of years ago and it was crashing because I had so many notes. It just was never finishing. I'm sure it's got better since then, but uh, I like to take a more kind of global approach to this. And in addition to running a time machine backup, I also just back up the drive, including the user data. And I've always felt like, like photos, contacts, stuff like this. I would just restore the data files from backup. Mm-hmm. rather than try to recreate it. And yeah. and I get that I can make an ICS file and do some of these things, but I feel like you're going to you're always going to lose some metadata, especially something with note like notes. So, um, you know, run something like carbon copy cloner or super duper to make a backup of your drive. And I also run chronosync that backs up user data on a monthly basis. We just talked about backup in a recent episode, so we don't need to open that whole can of worms, but um, I do believe that in addition to Apple's kind of time machine incremental backup system, uh, being able to go in and just restore a file from a disk once in a while 
Uh, although I don't need it very often, I like the fact that I can do it. And also Time Machine would back it up too. I, I don't want to misrepresent, but I just really like kind of the old school. Here's a disc with all the ones and zeros in order. I can just move them onto my system drive and be back in business. Yeah. Yeah, you should definitely have those other things there. But you, you do have the opportunity to export that data manually if you want. It's just uh, not as easy as contacts and calendars. And look, contacts and calendars, they're built on kind of industry standards, right? ICS, vCard, they're everywhere, right? You, you, can, you can import them into Outlook. You can import them into other Mac apps. And so when it comes to notes, it's just a little bit different because every notes app kind of wants different things, but it's not the sealed garden that it, it looks like at first if you are willing to, to mess with one of these third-party apps. And, and uh, I've got the link for exporter in the show notes. There are others. Uh, I've played with a bunch of them in preparation for this, and by far, exporter is the best one. The other thing I would argue is that I would like to see Apple do a better job with export tools in Apple Notes. I Same. mean, there's, they could do this. They have an importer. I mean, yeah. they make it very easy to get your Evernote stuff into Apple Notes. But if you want to go the reverse direction, there's not a lot of help. And um, I think that's something that, you know, software should be judged on its ability to, to move data in and out. And uh, we've been hard on Evernote for many years because of that. And we got to look at Apple Notes the same way. Oh, it's not as bad as Evernote, I don't think. Like you can, no. uh, although I haven't, every time I say this, I feel guilty because I haven't looked at Evernote in a year. But, <laughs> the, uh, you know, it's not as bad as Evernote the last time I tried it. But it could be a lot better. Agreed. Yeah, it would be great if they had those tools. Because, you know, people do change apps, right? And it... It doesn't hurt like it doesn't hurt Apple to have an export tool in Notes. People aren't paying for iCloud for Apple Notes, right? Yeah. They're paying for iCloud to store their photos and yeah. their device backups. And Notes is pretty far down the, the decision tree for most people. So it doesn't hurt anything if Apple doesn't use doesn't have uh, you know everyone in in the Notes garden. So I agree with you. It's a really good point. This should just be a system feature. And there's still a place in my heart for Apple Notes. So there's certain, like I, with the uh, the studio build, I've got an Apple Note where I've got like links to the materials and checklists for the contractor. And I thought about trying to move some of that stuff into craft. And I'm like, no, this works in Apple Notes. Why would I mm-hmm. complicate it? And, uh, but, but there is that problem of like, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of stuck in there. Right. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Go to electric.ai slash MPU and unbury yourself from IT tasks. Plus, get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a qualifying meeting. When leading your small business, it's not all glamour. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours trying to find a laptop lost in the mail for a new hire or dealing with some other technical emergency, which you're well-equipped to deal with, but maybe you don't have time for. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. 
and you're listening to the Mac Power Users, there's a good chance you can do a lot of the IT stuff that's needed, but that doesn't mean you should. You need to learn to delegate so you can focus on what's most important. That's the overall strategy of your company. Or maybe choosing the right software tools and workflows. That's the stuff you should be spending your time on, not IT stuff. If you're spending your time managing IT, you're not spending your time on the big picture, and you need to go check out Electric. And for Mac Power Users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. So stop drowning in IT nonsense and instead go to electric.ai slash MPU and let them handle it for you. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for scheduling a qualified meeting. And our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power users. So we, we talked a little bit in the iOS 16 episode about uh, the updates to dictation, but I know you had some some more stuff we wanted to talk about that and kind of get a, an overview of you know how you're using dictation today, where you use it. So give us a give us an update. Yeah, you know every time dictation comes up on the show, I actually get a lot of email from people with various questions. We've done full dictation shows in Mac Power users years ago. I don't think this really justifies a full show, but I thought we could give it a few minutes in a feedback show, and now I can point people here when they send me an email. But I just kind of wanted to unload on the state of dictation as we are now. Um, As I said last week, I'm very happy with a lot of the changes that took place in iOS 16, and I I think this does help people get better at using dictation. Um, But uh, let's just get a little more foundation to it. So there, there are three things that I want to look at. That's the underlying technologies, the hardware, and the use cases. So in terms of the technologies available to you, if you want to do dictation and you're an Apple user, by far the easiest is Siri voice to text. You know, it's a button on your keyboard or it's a button um, on your virtual keyboard on your iPhone or iPad, or it's even they've got it in the key row in the function row now on the Mac. It's an F5 button, opens dictation. And this has been improving significantly over the years. Um, Historically, it had a timer on it that was Mm -hmm. 45 seconds to a minute, and it was a huge problem because it would just stop. And then if you hit the button again, it would start a new sentence uh, regardless of where it had stopped before. So the edits of these things was just misery. And uh, so I, I recommended historically Siri voice dictation for a text message or a one to two sentence email and nothing more. Cause you just, you know, trying to manage that timer was just maddening. And that's one of the, Big things that have fixed recently. Now, if you have a phone and you hit the button, you can just keep talking and you're good. And not only that, they have a nice generous timer where you can pause. I I believe it's about 10 seconds before it stops. So if you need to stop to click your thoughts for a few seconds, you can do that. Um, and that really comes in handy as I'll, I'll talk about in a minute with some practical advice. But Siri voice to text is great. Uh, it does not have a custom vocabulary which can become a problem if you want to dictate something with a bunch of special um, vocabulary. Maybe it's something technical or proper nouns or just, you know, things that aren't going to normally be in the dictionary. But uh, if you want to get into technology, I think that's kind of the gateway drug right now. You push the button, you start talking and it just works. And uh, I, I continue to believe and not, not enough people try this because like I watch people, we were at Disneyland last week, as you do, And I was watching the guy next to me try to text on his device 
and he was holding it in one hand and he was taking his finger and he was like, he was, he was spending more effort on a text message than I think, you know, they did on the statue of David, you know, just like every letter was precious. And I was thinking, you know, whoever he's texting, he could just hit that, that, that button and just say it and it would go out and he'd be done. And I don't know why he didn't, I, it, you know, do you ever get this Steven where you're out in public and you want to like help somebody with their technology? Yep. Does that ever happen to you? Yes. All the time. I, I wanted to be like Johnny Appleseed of dictation and say, Hey buddy, let me show you something. <laughs> you know? Cause this guy was not a young man. And uh, I feel like that that was his usual practice for texting. And it made me sad. But either way, so that's there. Everybody should try it. And if you haven't, um, then you should. Uh, the next technology to check out is voice control. And there is um, a, an accessibility feature in the Mac OS and iOS and, and iPad OS now called voice control. And this is, you know, this came out about six months after Dragon, who's kind of the the known player here, pulled out of the Mac. And I've heard various stories from people who say they know things. And I feel like what happened was Dragon was pretty upset that Apple started hiring Dragon people. <laughs> and I I don't have any firsthand knowledge, so take this with all with a grain of salt. But Dragon was pretty upset. And this basically voice control is Apple's kind of shot at making a dragon in in the uh, devices. And the nice thing for users is you don't have to pay the hundreds of dollars that Dragon costs. And it's got custom vocabulary. It's got the ability to push buttons on your screen. It's got the grid system that Dragon does. So, you know, for people with accessibility issues that need help, this gives you kind of everything. Uh, the downside is uh, I still don't think it's as good as Dragon. <laughs> you know? mm. uh, just recently, I was um, visiting a friend who has a PC and he uses Dragon. I'm like, let me take a, a test drive on this. He's like, but it's not your voice file because Dragon has custom voice files. I'm like, right. I don't care. Just let me try it. You know? And it felt like putting on a comfortable pair of shoes. I mean, Dragon is very good. I mean, I don't know what version they're at now, but it's a big one, big number. And they've been doing it a long time. And it still is the best one. I just had a surgeon write me after we talked about this on last week's show. In fact, that's the reason this segment is here, because I felt like there's a lot of people like him out there. And he said, look, I use Dragon. Is it good enough now to replace Dragon? And I don't think voice control is. Uh, my advice to him was to just install a virtual Windows install on his Mac and just continue to run Dragon, which is kind of sad. It is sad. Yeah, it's sad that they just left the market for on the Mac. Yeah, it is because people want it. And I know Apple's getting close, but they're not close enough yet. And uh, so for people who are like real high-end dictators, I think that might be the best solution. That being said, that is not the solution for me. You know, I let my Dragon license lapse and I have been getting by just fine with voice control, a combination of voice control and Siri voice to text, which I think are both, way better than they used to be and the number of errors it makes for me are are limited now when i was dictating complicated contracts i think dragon probably would have been you know at that point i may have considered doing something virtual dragon but i don't have to do that anymore thankfully it's just you know when you get into complicated text where dragon kind of uh, shows its strengths but for most of us I think Siri voice to text and uh, voice control is probably enough. 
Now, the advantage of voice control is that you can, um, the edits are easier. There's more edit tools, but you have to learn them. And there is a custom vocabulary. So like I have Stephen Hackett in my voice control and I have 512 pixels in there. And so like if I dictate a blog post about Stephen at 512 pixels, it just shows up right. Whereas if I do that with Siri voice to text, it probably won't show up right. And um, that's the big difference when you're like doing more complicated work. And there's also a whole host of different web services out there um, where you can upload a file and it'll transcribe or it tries to do dictation. And all of those are okay. You know, I think the on-device stuff is way better. And as Apple adds more artificial intelligence, you know, muscle to the devices, it just gets better and better. I foresee a day when I can tell people you don't need Dragon anymore, but I, I just don't think we're at it yet. So that's the underlying technology. Any questions for me, Stephen? Yeah, you, you answered the big one I had. I was curious how, you know, your uses has changed a lot from over the last little while. You've gone from full-time lawyer to part-time lawyer to no-time lawyer. Yeah. And I was curious about, how, you know, how you had seen the technology versus your needs changing. But I think it's fantastic that you're able to use the built uh, the built-in tools and it sounds like, yeah, it is a bummer. Like, and I, I just don't understand their decision to pull out of the Mac market. But it is great that Apple's technology has been, you know, basically for most people, for most uses, uh, kind of been able to uh, to fill in the gap. Yeah, I, I think my advice, if you're listening, is try the Siri voice to text, and if that's good enough for you, don't go any further. And if you feel like you're feeling the limits of that, then get serious about voice control and get a custom dictionary in there and learn how it really works. Uh, all of these things have a learning curve um, and you need to learn how it works. But once you kind of get used to it and if you're still hitting limits, then go to Dragon. But that is such a, a big leap, right? It's installing a virtual machine on your computer for one thing. And I honestly don't think there are that many people who are going to need it. Um, like the surgeon friend that wrote me, well, he uses a custom Dragon install that's made for doctors. Mm, and when okay. he dictates doctor words, they show up. And uh, voice control is not going to do that. I mean, you could try to build your own custom dictionary around it, but that is a fool's errand. I mean, you just get Dragon for that. Um, to be honest with you, the legal stuff I did, I probably could do that with voice control too. Cause I mean, the way I practiced law, I didn't get into a lot of stuff that had very custom language and I use some tricks, which I'm going to talk to you about in a minute. Um, so I probably could, you know, I got by. In fact, I did get by cause I didn't have dragon working for the last year and a half of my law practice and it was fine. But mm -hmm. if I really wanted to get the most out of it, I would have gone to dragon. So then you get to the hardware question, you know, um, this, you know, voice to text dictation can happen in many platforms. Like I find it really handy on the iPhone because the keyboard is small and, um, you know, there is a thing as you know, where some people type faster than other on these glass keyboards. And I am not a speed typist. I do like all the tricks Apple gives us where it does autocomplete and things like that. I use all of that to my advantage. Um, but the fact is I can, I can talk way faster than I can even do that. And the buttons right there and the phone is like a perfect platform for short dictation. Uh, the iPad, I find the iPad and Mac are both kind of, of a piece for me where I can do long form dictation. I'm going to talk about what that means in just a minute, but 
uh, when I've got a screen there, I love to do long form dictation on those devices. And the Apple Watch is the short form dictation device for me. And that's all uh, comes down to drafts. You know, I mean, drafts has that one little widget you can put on, you press a button, you start talking, you save a note back to your Mac. Why Apple doesn't build that function in? I mean, that's to Greg Pierce's benefit, but I feel like it's so obvious, right? I mean, they've got the dictation stuff. There should be a super easy way to capture, you know? And I know there's a notes widget and other things, but nothing does it as easily as Drafts does. So that's the hardware piece of it. And then we get into the use cases. And I've been talking around them a little bit. First is the quick and dirty stuff. Like I said, text messages, um, adding tasks to your task manager, maybe even a short email. That is the entry point for people. And I think that's one, if you haven't tried, you should first. Do you do any of that? I do a little, n- not not a ton. Um, but yeah, some. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, I feel like you're the norm here. I, I just think a lot of people don't even think about trying it. Um, and and the one of my tips is don't be self-conscious about it. Just mm-hmm. do it. I mean, I do it in public all the time. Maybe that guy at Disneyland wouldn't do it because he'd feel uncomfortable talking out loud in <laughs> right. a public place. You know, I, I think that's common. But first of all, you can hold the microphone close to your mouth. You don't have to talk super loud. And um, I don't think most people will notice. I mean, look at all these bozos walking around with AirPods and having like full-blown conversations you know, in public. You know, <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, so I, I think if you're if you're mindful about it, it, it can, number one, not disturb other people, and number two, make your life easier. So I, I think that's one of the holdups. Uh, then there's two kinds of long-form writing. There's long-form without edits and long-form with edits. Uh, long form, The model long-form without edits is my day one entries. I do those all the time with Siri, voice-to-text, or voice control. And usually I don't even edit them. I just talk into it. I kind of capture the whole purpose of creating a journal entry for me is kind of to sort out what I'm thinking about mm-hmm. more than have a document I can read later. Right. And I get the benefit out of it just from sitting there and talking for 10 minutes. And um, the dictation is good enough that if you come back and read it in 10 years, you'll be able to generally sort out what you're saying. Um, and I don't spend any time editing those. So that's one way to do it. If you have staff, that's another way to people do that. Like if you've got someone helping you out, you just dictate the the quick and dirty one in and let them fix it. So that's kind of without edits asterisk, you know. Uh, but then there's the dictation with edits where you need to go back and clean it up later. Client work, publishing. Uh, there's a lot of ways you're going to do that. And the question is, is that faster than just typing it from the beginning? And I think it just depends on the person and how you do it. I do have some some tricks for this, though. I'm guessing that you probably don't do a lot of long form stuff, right? Mm-mm. No. I mean, cause you write some long blog posts. I, I would like you to try it for me. Um, okay. After I, after I get this list of tips, I, I just give it a shot and then come back and we'll talk about it in a future episode, maybe the next feedback episode. Okay. We'll do. One of the reasons people want to type is because subconsciously, at least you're doing a lot of your thinking about the organization of the document of the long form text as you write it. You know, you sit down at a keyboard, you don't necessarily have a lot of outlines or you have a few thoughts in your mind and you start typing, you start moving things around and with a keyboard and a mouse, that's really fast. And people use it not only to get the text in, but they also get it to kind of like organize the document. Um, So my advice is 
if you want to dictate, you shouldn't do that. Um, you, you can't do that at the same time. It's just not as easy. But the advantage is you get the, the raw text in so much faster, and then you can see it as a whole and go back and do those edits later. And I think you actually, it makes the text faster and it makes the edit better. That's my experience. Now, people can disagree with me, and I'm not going to argue with you about it. If, if it works better for you the other way, then you should do it that way. But I would at least let ask you to give my me mean method a, a chance. You know, Try it out for a while and you know, give it a month and then see where you're at the end of a month. The other thing I do is I am a very avid user of mind maps. I, you know, my node, I think they even used to be a sponsor years ago. And, um, but my node is just a great little quick and dirty mind mapping application. And when I have to do long form stuff, I start with a mind map and I just build it. We had a show on this years ago with Katie called cooking ideas that I want to come back to someday. But, you know, I just kind of let the idea percolate, you know, and I add to the, to the mind map over time and at some point I get to a point where I'm like, okay, this is in pretty good shape. And I just sit down and hit the microphone and start talking while I look at the mind map. This is great. Like on an iPad where you mm -hmm. put the mind map on the left side and drafts or notes or something that'll take text on the right side and just start talking. And I find that it's very efficient and effective to get, get good long form text. So that's my first piece of advice is kind of plan it out in advance. Don't try to be reorganizing it while you're talking. The next thing is um, if you're going to use a system where there's not a custom vocabulary, placeholder names, you know, I usually use animals for people and then I can go back and change them. I'll make Steven a tiger and then later I'll go back and <laughs> search and replace tiger for Steven. I mean, come on, you are a tiger, right? Yeah, I, no, I like it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'm always a turtle. I'm, you know, but <laughs> that's me. But the, uh, so, so you go back and you get some placeholder names. You can use it for any proper noun. You know, it doesn't have to be people. You can make it a location or whatever. And the advantage of that is you don't have to think about it at the time you're dictating. You, because if, you, if you're trying to say Statue of Liberty and every time you say it, you, you can't help but watch the text show up to see if it got it right. Mm -hmm. And then you lose the thread. Just you know, make up you know, some other name for it that you know it's going to nail every time. And is distinct enough that you can go back and do a search and replace later. And it, it takes almost no time at all. Uh, I also think when you proofread this stuff, um, there's a lot of tricks you can use. Like put the text in a format you're not used to. Lately, I've been experimenting with IA Writer, yeah. which is quite expensive for what it is. But it also is quite beautiful. <laughs> and you know, putting the text into that context sometimes helps me find things that I was missing. Also, like I made a script for Apple when I did that feature for them, but you can, it's very easy. You can find it online just to uh, have it read the text back to you after you dictate it. So you just have a, a shortcut, just read it to you. So if you listen to it, sometimes you catch things that, that weren't, weren't right. I mean, the, the problem is when you speak the text, you know what you were saying. If the computer got any bit of it wrong, when you read it, there's a bias in your brain that's going to read it the way you said it. Hmm. So it's easier to get typos that way. So yeah. all this stuff is engineered at finding ways to surface those, you know, have it read it back to you, read it in a different context. Right. If you can, if you have the resources of another person, having them read it for you when it's all done is really helpful. And yeah. occasionally they'll find something. Um, but all of this to me um, gets back to the idea that getting the text in faster is better. And also I think it's, it's just better. I mean, I my conversational tone 
is better if I dictate it than if I write it. And uh, so I, I see a lot of ways this works. There are still places dictation breaks. I mean, if you're going to do a bunch of technical writing, if you're going to be doing coding, obviously, it's just not there. But um, for most of us that are are writing things, I find that uh, this stuff really does help. And I hope that this little segment gave you some inspiration. If you are dictating and it's working or not working, let me know. Maybe we'll follow up on this at some point. But uh, uh, I do think uh, I'm going to continue to bang the drum for this because I think a lot of people are super resistant to writing. And um, the reason is sitting down there at the keyboard can be really intimidating. Whereas if you just start talking, it's much less intimidating. Mm-hmm. And and so some things just never get written because of that keyboard problem. Whereas if these people could figure out, oh wait, there's a button I can push on my Mac and it'll just write for me, I uh, I think that's that could be useful. So you're gonna give it a try? I will give it a try. Yeah, I've got an article I'm working on this afternoon. Actually, it's like halfway written, so I'm gonna give dictation a shot for the back half of it. And uh, I, I'm curious about the about what you said in particular about like how the the tone can change when you're dictating versus writing. And so, yeah, I'm going to dig into this because the technology is so much better than it was. And uh, like I said on the the last episode, I, I use it on my phone more than I ever have, especially in iOS 16 where you can, it, it doesn't take over the keyboard that you can kind of use both. And I find yeah. that really useful. But um, yeah, I will report back in a future episode. All right. I, my fingers are crossed for you. <laughs> Spend a few minutes just outlining what you want to say before you do it for the first time, though. Yeah. You know, yeah. Get, get your thoughts together. And another common piece of advice is, you know, have a full sentence composed in your head before you start talking. If you try to compose a sentence on the fly, a lot of times dictation gets lost. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Squarespace. If you're looking to build a website for your civic group or school or church or business, maybe a portfolio or a blog, whatever you're doing, Squarespace is the best place to start because they are the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can start out with a beautiful website. You can engage your audience. You can sell products, services, and even content all with Squarespace. The online store is really cool. You can sell physical and digital products. They have all the tools you need to start selling online. If you want to send emails to get visitors to turn into loyal customers, you can start with the Squarespace email templates. You customize it, apply your brand ingredients like colors and logos. Plus, the built-in analytics measure the impact of every email sent. Those analytics also apply to the website, so you can see what traffic is coming from and help maximize prominence among search results for your website. I love building on Squarespace. It's easy. It's fast. And you can get something that looks really awesome. You don't have to worry about what it looks like on this device or that device. All that stuff is just handled when you choose Squarespace. So start a free trial at squarespace.com slash MPU. There's no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU. That'll get you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain name. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show you support for the show. So, Stephen, uh, we had GW write in with a question about sign-in with Apple. He's like, could you explain what sign-in with Apple means on a website? What are we agreeing to? 
Are we actually sending our Apple IDs to a site? I sure hope not. <laughs> GW is worried. Can we allay his fears? I think we can. So this is a feature has been around about a year, I think. And you've probably seen it in apps and even some websites now where, you know, um, you could sign in with your username and password that you make just for that account. And a lot of websites, in addition to that, have offered, you know, sign in with your Google account or sign in with your Facebook account, sign in with Twitter, right? We've all seen these. Apple joined that fray, uh, like I said, I think a year ago with sign in with Apple. And so what this does is it lets you use your Apple ID and then your biometric, so face ID or touch ID, to make an account and sign in to these apps and services. And it's in iOS, macOS, any browser. Like it, they've, they've really spread it out pretty well. And it's to a point now where there's some apps, you know, we do this for a living. I download a lot of apps. I try a lot of things. I even found, found apps that only do sign in with Apple or these other services that they don't want your username and password because they don't want to deal with it on their end, which I think is pretty cool. So when you use this, uh, apps will ask you for your name and email address. And so they, you know, say that your Apple ID, you know, was... Uh, you know, first name, last name at iCloud.com, they would have that. But Apple added an additional layer of privacy here called hide my email. And what this does is you still sign in with your Apple ID and use touch ID or face ID or whatever. But the website or the service, they don't get your Apple ID email address. They get, you know, uh, David and then a bunch of like random letters and numbers at iCloud.com. And Apple on their end forwards those emails to your actual email address. And so what this means is uh, effectively that you have a one-time use email address that's just for this app that you've signed into. And it makes it easy to see where that email is coming from. And it keeps your email address private and keeps it... uh where these apps and services don't have access to it. I really like this feature. And I'm curious, David, is this something that you are using when you come across it? Yes, the answer is yes. But I like it too. I have warm feelings about it. I was sitting next to you in the keynote when they first announced it. That was the first keynote you and I got invited to together. And everybody was cranky out in the world when they announced this because Apple put a condition on this. They said, look, if you're going to make an app that's going to have sign in with, you know, FaceTime or what is it? A Facebook. <laughs> Sorry. What was that slip? Uh, Facebook or uh, Twitter. You need to have sign with Apple as well. And I was always nervous about using those other services because I'm like, do I really want Facebook knowing every place that I signed up for an account with? You know, I just right. felt a little weird about it. Yeah. Whereas Apple kind of brought a security focus to it and they really kind of wrote it, in my opinion, to protect the user. So this is the only one of these that I ever use. And I particularly use it on services that I'm not sure about. Like, oh, let me give this a try and see what I think, you know. And it just manages it for me, makes it really simple. And um, I've been happy with it. I mean, yeah. I don't use it for everything. And uh, I think I'm more conservative about trying new services now anyway. I definitely want to see, get a better idea about who's behind the service and how it's working before I just sign up for it. Because... 
the internet has become kind of a creepy place when people mm. get your user data. And I totally get the idea of services trying to just use this instead of their own because it takes money and time to set up your own backend service and, you know, putting on my former lawyer hat, it, it incurs liability. You know, the more information you have on your users, um, the more, you know, if you, if you're hacked or if you lose that data or accidentally publish it, the more liability you have. And those laws are just getting more and more yep. tough. Mm-hmm. So, you know, turning it over to Apple, I think for a lot of people makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I think it totally makes sense. And with the hide my email sort of layer on top of it, which is optional. You know, you, you don't have to use that or you can use it all the time. Apple gives you more control over this than some of these others, right? If you sign in with Facebook or with Google, they're going to know who you are. And this does give you a, a layer of uh, protection against that. Uh, I'm using it for a few things. Uh, you know, a bunch of my stuff, you know, predates this. And so those still use regular logins. Although I have seen some apps and services provide a way to bridge over to sign in with Apple that lets you do that. But uh, if it's an option now, uh, I tend to use it. And then the tricky part is remembering that you use sign in with Apple on like this one app as opposed to some other app on your phone. That's just part of it. But all in all, I think it's really well thought out. I think Apple took something that was has been popular for a long time, honestly, on the internet, using another service as authentication and did it with their privacy focus in mind. And I think if you see it as an option, uh, you should definitely consider using it. And do you find yourself like judging like sites? You're like, is this site worthy of my actual email? You know? <laughs> like some of them are like run by friends. I'm like, oh, okay, I know this guy. I'll yeah. give him my email address. But, but some of them are not. In fact, most of them are not. But yeah, that's kind of fun. Uh, we also heard from Adam about battery management. There's the the newest fruit juice update is not going to uh, be continue to be updated. Uh, this is from Adam. Like I said, um, do we still need apps like this to maintain MacBook battery health, or is Apple doing enough to tune the OS battery and hardware to make it totally unnecessary? Well, I was with him until he got to the word totally, <laughs> because <laughs> right? I mean, fruit juice gave us so much data on our battery, and I always really like that. Um, and uh, I have to admit, I was kind of sad to read that fruit juice is going away. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's been a Mac app for a long time. Yeah. It's just such a great name too, right? Fruit juice. I mean, come on. It's a great name. And uh, yeah, it's it's gone. But over the years, Apple has done more and more to manage the health of our batteries for us. They're not giving you all the detail that fruit juice could see in the past. But uh, a couple of things I'll I'll point out, and I'll have a couple of links in the show notes uh, about this. But starting like 10 years ago, when they started sealing in batteries to the underside of MacBook Pros, people freaked out about it, but it's fine. When they started doing that, Apple also had some technology to more intelligently charge the battery. Because if you have a a MacBook Pro and it's on your desk with an external display and it's plugged in 24-7 for years, in the past, you know, distant past now, that was actually really bad for the battery because it was always getting power. It wasn't ever cycling. And Apple has slowly introduced technologies to help prevent that. One of them is they actively monitor the charge going into each battery and they cut the power off and the battery will actually will cycle some, even though it's plugged in all the time, which is really cool. 
The other thing they've done more recently is something called optimized battery charging. And this is on the phone and the watch as well, not just the Mac. But it learns your charging routine and it will defer charging to 100% until it thinks you're going to pick up your phone for the day. And so how this plays out in real life, for me, my alarm goes off at 6 a.m., you know, every weekday. And my phone probably till like 4.30 in the morning is probably held at 80%. And then it charges it the rest of the way, you know, before I need it. Now, if your schedule is not conducive to that sort of thing, you can turn this feature off. But if you have a regular pattern, Apple can use that to keep your battery healthy because batteries don't really like being charged all the way to 100% for long periods of time. And uh, they also are designed to, to do this cycling where it's healthy for a battery to go through its various states of charge over a period of time. But really the way I, I look at this is, you know, Apple's doing what they're going to do, and I'm not worried about it past that. And I think there was a time in the past where things like fruit juice really made a lot of sense, or like every Wednesday unplug your laptop and use it till the battery dies. I just don't think a lot of that is necessary anymore uh, unless you're on one of the sort of the extreme ends where, yeah, if you always use your phone 100 to 0% every single day, it is going to wear out a little bit faster than maybe my phone, which, you know, very rarely goes, I feel like, below 30% or 40%. Yeah. But for the most part, I would say, you know, don't let this keep you up at night. Don't feel like you've got to rearrange your life around your battery health. These devices are really smart about how they manage themselves. Yeah. And they, uh, you know, they give you a lot of data now that they didn't used to give you. If you go into the system preferences, man, this is really hard right now because we're in the midst of a change in that name. <laughs> system settings, whatever you want to call oh, it. Yeah. Um, depending on when you're listening to the show. Um, there. <laughs> Under the battery tab, there's a lot of data there and a lot of checkboxes. And there is a battery health rating. Like um, I'm looking right now, my MacBook Pro, my battery health is maximum capacity is 88%. Mm-hmm. I use the heck out of this thing. And I've had it a, what, about a year now, and that doesn't surprise me. So there's a lot of data available to you built in. I think that's ultimately why fruit juice probably went went away. And um that optimized battery charging Stephen was talking about, there's a checkbox for it. You can turn it off if you want, but, but I kind of generally stick with Apple's defaults and, you know, yeah, it, it is what it is. Yeah. The, the reality is, is that batteries are ultimately a part of a device that is going to wear down, right? They're like tires on your car, right? You eventually are going to need new tires on your car and batteries are really, no matter what we do, ultimately the same way. And so we can use all of Apple's settings and we can be mindful of it. But at the end of the day, if you keep a device long enough, you will ultimately probably need a battery replacement. And Apple has worked on that end of things as well to make it much more affordable, especially on the iPhone, where if you hold on to a device that long and you really run into, you know, okay, this isn't lasting long enough the way that it used to, you do have those opportunities to have the battery replaced. It's not as easy as in the old days where you could like, flip your MacBook over and like twist a little latch, the battery come out, you just put a new one in, like those days are gone. But Apple, I think, has done a pretty good job at its battery replacement program. So if you end up in a situation where a battery has just been worn out, it's not the end of the road for your device overall. Yeah, 
I mean, Apple's mindful of, um, you know, trying to be conservative of an e-waste. And I think uh, for as long as they continue to be in this generation of battery technology, they're going to have an, a solution. I'm still looking forward to I feel like this is the next big jump. I don't know, maybe in two years or 10 years or whatever, suddenly batteries are just going to get way better. And this won't be something that people worry about anymore. I hope so. It would be it'd be great to just never have to think about it again. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Setapp. Go to setapp.com between now and September 30 and use the code MACPOWER to get yourself a free one-month trial. Do you have a seemingly never-ending workload? Well, why not delegate some tasks to Setapp to cut down on that stress? Setapp is a powerful task solver for every professional with a Mac and iPhone. Whether you do design, software development, or just need a solid tool to edit a photo, Setapp helps you discover the perfect app for the job. Setapp has 240-plus apps, all available with a single subscription. This is a fantastic value. Instead of paying thousands of dollars for separate licenses, there's just one flat monthly fee, and Setapp has a dedicated curation team that only selects the highest quality apps. New apps are added to Setapp regularly, updates are free, and all apps are a full-featured pro version. I am a believer. They have just grown this collection, and it seems like whenever I have a problem, they've got an app for me. And since I already have a subscription, I've already paid for it. It's kind of awesome. Just recently, I set up this new MacBook Air, and I went to Setapp, signed in with my new Mac, and I downloaded a pile of applications. Ulysses, check. Bartender, check. Pathfinder, check. I knew I was going to be using the new laptop on the road a lot. There's a great app called Trip Mode. That's part of Setapp. Better Touch Tool, my favorite app for doing cool stuff on my Mac. That's part of Setapp. Default Folder X, iStat Menus, Forklift. I mean, the list just goes on and on. So many apps on my Mac are part of my Setapp subscription. I totally dig it. I think you should give it a try. They've even got a deal for you so you can get a free 30-day trial. Between now and September 30, just go to setapp.com and enter code MACPOWER. Get yourself a free month. Kick the tires. See what you think. I bet you'll love it like I do. Once again, that is setapp, S-E-T-A-P-P.com. Go there, check it out. The code is all caps, MACPOWER, no spaces. Get yourself that free month and check it out. And our thanks to Setapp for their support of the MACPOWER users and all of Relay FM. So we like to end these uh, feedback episodes with stuff we're playing with. And obviously we have to start with, uh, we talked about watches, but what phones did we pre-order if we did? So, uh, what about you? You got a new phone coming? I like that. You said, if we did, I mean, Oh, I know it, I mean, come on, man. Yeah. So what'd you get? <laughs> I, I, I went to the max this year. I went to the iPhone okay. pro max. I last year I had a non max regular phone. It was great. I had, you know, I didn't regret getting the smaller one, but the other day I picked up Daisy's phone to do something. And I met, I said, man, I really like all these pixels. And, mm-hmm. um, it really, it comes down to a trade-off, you know, do you want a bigger screen or do you want something that's easier to manage with one hand and lighter? And, um, after, and for several years I had the big one and then, but you know, I just thought last year for a goof i'd get the smaller one and, you know last year was one of the first years that the camera systems matched you know yeah you know uh, so that was another reason i'd get the bigger ones because i always want the best camera but the um but uh, you know what i i realized i missed the big one so i got the big size phone um i got 512 gigabytes which is a lot of storage but 
I am currently using over 400 on my existing one. I put a lot of data on my phone and I also shoot a lot of video with my phone. And um, so I just decided I'm going to do the same thing again. And I got that and I picked white because none of the other colors I picked white because I didn't like the other colors more mm-hmm. than I, I particularly wanted another white one. You know, uh, I do wish, you know, I'm not going to keep banging the drum on this, but I do wish that they had more color options and, and yeah. white is fine. White actually got better this year. It's, it's more white. So, and then I'm going to put a case on it. I, I ordered the orange case. Yeah. I got mine right here. Mine showed up a few days ago. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you get the leather one? Yeah. The orange leather one. Yeah. I, so last year, Another thing that changed for me in the last year with the um, with the last generation was I got the silicon case because the leather colors, I didn't like any of them. Yeah, they, they were not good last year. And I've always had leather cases. I got the silicone. It held up great. I mean, I, I you know, if they had an orange silicon one, I might have got that. I don't know. But the um, I really liked, um, you know, the leather in the past and they've got a cool orange color. So I ordered that. And I'm going to put it on my white phone, and uh, I can't wait to get it. Um, as we record this, we're just a few days away. And um, if I can get a pass into Disney, because I have to get reservations, I'll be putting up a video probably shortly after this show publishes, testing out the camera, you know, at Disneyland, as I do. So, yeah, I, I'm excited. You know, I'm, I, you know, sometimes the Apple events afterwards, you start thinking, well, that really wasn't that great. But I think all this stuff with the camera system is, is awesome. And the um, the whole dynamic island, which the, I have come around to it. I really like it now. I like the word dynamic island. Cool. You know, uh, so I, I'm looking forward to everything that, that's coming with this new pro phone. So I went went kind of all in. How about you? Yeah, so I did the white uh, 512 gig, but in the, the standard pro. So not the big one. I'm actually going to go to the small one. Okay, it's your turn. Yeah, it's my turn. Uh, but yeah, likewise, very excited about the camera and what that thing's going to be able to do. And excited to see this new design element in the Dynamic Island. It's something new and fun, like we talked about last time. And just looking forward to seeing what that looks like. I think it's going to be one of those things, not unlike lock screen widgets probably, but I think it's going to take a little bit longer to see what third-party apps do with this and what's going to be possible, what works, what doesn't work. And so... You know, in the first few days, you know, and when this show comes out, the phones will have been out for a couple of days. It's probably going to be mostly Apple apps <laughs> that work with it. And we'll just have to see how the third party ecosystem kind of gets around it. But that'll be fun to see how that changes and evolves. And uh, so, yeah, so we same color, same size. And uh, I think a white phone with the orange case is going to look awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Well, we're like twinsies. Yeah, uh, I was I was telling a friend uh, that I feel like the big versus the small phone, you're either optimizing for your eyeballs or your fingers. Yep. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. And I I did like the smaller one; it was nice in my pocket. It's all good. I I didn't like regret the purchase, but just using Daisy's phone the other night, I was like, oh yeah, this is home for me. I'm going to get another big phone. Um, the other thing is we always talk about what we're playing with. I, we both kind of picked the same thing. Uh, when you put this in the outline, I'm like, oh, I did this too. <laughs> so Stephen and I both bought a, a new webcam. It's the Opal C1. Yeah. And uh, this is a webcam that you have to like get your name on a list and wait for your number to come up mm-hmm. uh, to order one of them. I got it. And uh, and you, you apparently did too. So tell me, how did you stumble into this? Because you and I hadn't talked about it. It just never came up. 
Yeah, when it got announced, you know, there was coverage of it, and I just threw my email address in uh, in the list. And yeah, so I got an email probably like a month ago saying, hey, if you want one, you can now get one. So I, I got it in black. This is a 4K webcam. It uses a sensor that's more similar to what you get in a high-end point-and-shoot than in a webcam. So you get a lot of control, and it looks really good. Overall, I like it. It's not worth the $300, I don't think. For me, I don't think. But that is what it is. When I got it, you know, I tweeted about it. Some people said, oh, the autofocus is surprisingly bad. And they're not wrong about that. Now, it's something that I think can be fixed in software. But for me, like, it, it has a tendency to wander a bit. So actually, when I'm on a conference call, once the autofocus grabs it, I go to the mini bar app and I lock the focus. And so it stays you know, about where I'm, where I'm sitting, but it's really cool. And I love the industrial design. I love all the options you get in the menu bar app. You can change the bokeh and the, the aperture and the focal point and all of that stuff. But, uh, it is pricey. And I think unless you really rely on your webcam for like content, not sure the 300 bucks is, is the way to go. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we're kind of in the same space. I, I bought it because I'm doing so much video with the Max Barkey Labs and setting up my fancy Sony is just really difficult and it just didn't make a lot of sense. And um, so this was kind of like a halfway point between them. And I had had it a couple weeks when Apple announced continuity camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I I wonder if I would have kept it. I, I almost sent it back because it was too hot. I mean, when you touch it, it was really hot. It gets warm after a bit. Yeah. Well, then they did a, a, a software update, and it, it it didn't get hot anymore. It got warm. So they they fixed that. Uh, so so or I would have sent it back. But then now I'm thinking, well, maybe I should send it back anyway. But because continuity camera is remarkable, and we're going to talk about that whenever Apple ships Ventura. So if you're on the fence on this, unless you have a really good reason, I also would not recommend buying it. But the um, because continuity cameras around the corner, and if you're able to just hang your iPhone on your Mac and you don't need to see your iPhone when you're on these calls, I think you're going to get a good, uh, superior in some ways and inferior in other ways experience using that. So it's um, it's not probably not worth the money, but but it is a it is a much better. It's the best um webcam i've ever had and uh, i still use it all the time so you know take it with a grain of salt yeah and one thing i i like about it a lot is that it is under this sort of act active development right like you buy like a lg webcam or a logitech or something it just is what it is right and this thing yeah. like you said the heat you know was definitely an issue early on and that update did help it uh hopefully they can continue to improve the autofocus and software. So this is getting development. That's just not very common in products like this. Uh, I will say, though, it. I was just curious. It will work on Windows. They don't have software and drivers for it, so it's just a basic, good-looking, but basic webcam on Windows. This is really, the software's all on macOS, but it's it's pretty sweet, and I like the the, the novelty of the idea of, yeah, let's take a really good sensor and make it a webcam, you know, because <laughs> so often they're just tiny and noisy and grainy. And this is pretty sweet. And they're adding a lot of like little nice touches. Like if you hold up the peace symbol, it goes dark. 
Yeah. Have you done that? <laughs> yeah, I've played with so all that. The, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, and it, it ships with a lens cover. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of trust the Mac software not to be creepy, but um, if you're worried about that, it's got a little magnetic lens cover that you can just snap on the lens and you know that it's never going to be on. Yep. The design is made in a way that you can attach it to a Pro Display XDR or a thin laptop screen and it'll work equally well. There's a lot to like about this thing to me that the cloud is like continuity camera is free. The camera in your phone is really great. And you know, do you need to spend 300 bucks when you're going to have continuity camera very shortly? Right. Otherwise I would probably recommend it because it is definitely the best camera I've ever used. That's not like a, a, a proper SLR camera attached to my Mac. And because it plugs into the, you know, the webcam, like you can be in apps like Zoom or whatever and just have it work. Whereas when you try to use like a proper camera, there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually thinking, since I've spent the money on this thing, I'm going to probably keep it as my primary face camera on top of my Mac. And then continuity camera will be kind of like my roving camera. Because a lot of time when I do stuff in the labs, I want to show something on my desk or um, something that's not just my face. And um, then I could use continuity camera for that. Um, but we'll see. I, yeah. You know, there's a lot of experimentation to be done. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> in, in some ways, all this webcam stuff shows how long things take because all this is a response to work from home. And that started, you know, two and a half years ago. Yeah. And then I also got an email recently from a, a labs member uh, who talked about the, um, Circle 360 camera webcam, Mm -hmm. which is another one that is new since Opal came out. And it is on a gimbal and rotates. And he loves it. It's also $300. And told me I should give that one a try. But I'm like, I've spent enough money on webcams for now. But um, it it turns the lens away from you when you're not using it. So it physically changes the direction of the lens. Uh, You know, there's just a lot of interesting stuff happening. But like you said, it, it just took a while. Either way, it, it's kind of fun to experiment on this stuff and, and see what is new. And uh, one of the selling points of the Opal is supposed to be a better microphone. I didn't find that generally to be the case. Um, like for dictation no. and things, I still prefer a proper microphone. Yeah, it, it the microphone seems to be in line with the other web, the, the Logitech webcam I had before. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this feedback episode. I want to thank our sponsors, 1Password, Electric, Squarespace, and Setup. And we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find the forums over at talk.macpowerusers.com. I'm looking forward to talking to you next week, Stephen, when we get our new shiny iPhones. And uh, we'll see you all then. <laughs>